Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all this morning. It's good to be here. Amen. Amen. Well, good. Well, we're going to kind of jump into things pretty quickly this morning. Um, we started down a path on a little bit of a journey last week and want to continue as we've talked about missions and purpose and such. Uh, I mentioned last week that we were really as a church big C we have really only experienced a very very small fraction of what Jesus intended when he said I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it and so we're in a time I believe especially now when God is trying to expand our understanding of what we've been. We've got a number of people that have been in the Lord quite a while, and some who just recently come to the Lord. But all of us have really suffered from a an abbreviated and a diminished sense of what God's really called us to. He's a big God, and he's called us to reflect him in ways that go beyond all of us. So it's my hope that, um, that in what we talk about today, and as we go forward, we'll just expand our capacity, expand our understanding of just why and what God has for us all. So let's take a moment and pray, and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you. I thank you that at the very beginning, that in the beginning, you said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. That, Lord, you made us very purposefully like you so that we could co-labor with you, that we could carry out that which you had delegated for us to do on this planet. And so, Lord, we're grateful for that. And, and Lord, we, we thank you that you, in your redemptive purposes, are shaping and molding each of us through our circumstances, through our obedience, so that we can fulfill that which you originally intended for us. And so, Lord, I ask this morning that as you have so honored us with your presence, you would grant us ears to hear that which you are saying. Lord, that you would give us hearts that can comprehend and understand so that we can lean in not only hearing but obeying that which you've placed before us. I pray, Father, that your word would be made flesh in us, observable, experiential, so that your glory might be manifest and your kingdom extended. And so, Lord, I ask that you would awaken our ears this morning to hear that you would help me that I might convey more than just words, but your heart, so that in both the hearing and in the conveyance of your word, you would be honored, you would be glorified. Help us, Holy Spirit, preside over us this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you, O God. Amen. Well, we, we ended last week, we just by very brief review, we, we talked about the importance of uh, perspective in your vantage point that we needed to see things from a different perspective. Um, um, we, we, we tend not to see things as they are. We see things as we are. And that's dangerous because we're very, very small and limited in our understanding of things. And so, um, so that becomes problematic for us. But we looked at Jesus last week who, though he was dead, the Father raised him seated him at his right hand, the place of preference in heavenly places. So he's got a much better vantage point 
than we. And then in Ephesians 2, Paul writes that not only is Jesus seated there, but we are seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so what Jesus sees, what he understands, his perspectives are what's available to us as we are in Christ. I tell you, the two, two of the most important words that you will ever hear as it pertains to your face. And it's one of these things. I'm, I'm looking at my second, uh, uh, I don't know how to put this, um, lengthy stretch. I, I, I met the Lord a half century ago. And so now I'm coming into the second half of that. Lord willing, if I can live another 50 years, I'll be doing really well. But the thing is this, that I'm, I'm just beginning to understand the challenge of being able to recognize what it is to be in Christ. I didn't mention this last week, but let me put that before you because that's an abstract for most of us. But everything that happens to us happens in Christ. You are in Christ, and so you need to explore that out in the Holy Spirit and in the Word so that you really can comprehend the fullness of what it is to be in Christ because that's important uh, for perspective, for life, and everything else that we do. So anyway, we took a look at that, that we were seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So our perspective is heavenly places far above all of the other things. We're not really a part of the world. We're here, but we're not to be a part of this. Um, and we need to operate from his perspective. I want to throw out a warning. I didn't say this last week. But, but as I was praying over this week, I, something dawned on me, and I just wanted to mention it to you. Um, in Matthew 16, when Jesus rebukes Peter, after talking about the things that are going to happen to him, and Peter says, no, 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 you're, you're, these things aren't going to happen. Peter's perspective was all wrong. And Jesus corrected him, actually rebuked him, said, get behind me, Satan. What I wanted to give to you by way of just a, a warning, just file this away. Um, so that you'll understand, because you don't operate in a vacuum. None of us do. We all operate from uh, a position where we've got an enemy who is committed. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He knows your name, and he knows my name, and he knows your buttons, and he knows my buttons. And so, and he will resist. As a matter of fact, the closer you get to the revealed will of God in your life, the more his attacks will increase. And they will be increasingly intense and increasingly personal. So here is the thing that I just wanted to give to you just to file away, uh, that Satan wants to keep you in the smallness of your own interest. Let me say that again. Satan wants to keep you in the smallness of your own interest and in the limits of your own wisdom. Sometimes the voice that Satan uses most effectively is your own. And so just keep, keep that in mind as we move forward So, and as you go forward. So we looked at our task that, that lie ahead for us as a result of what Jesus has done. And I just want to read these passages just by review because that's going to lead us now into what I want to talk about today. Matthew 28, 
verses 18 through 20. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus says, go and therefore make disciples of all nations. This is his work now. Make disciples of all nations, which is now our work, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Luke chapter 14, verse 23. Uh, and the master said to the slave, go out into the ways and high, the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. And then in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, we read last week, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the world. We looked at last week, we talked about how we need to make that switch from come to go. For most of us, the imperative is to come. We want to invite people to come. Inviting folks to come to church is not a bad thing, but Jesus is telling the church to go. And so it's an important thing for us to understand. But it's not just simply just go, but it really is go and do certain things. Go and make, make what? Disciples. Go and proclaim, proclaim what? The gospel. By the way, the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. That's important for you to understand because that has, it's full of meaning when you understand the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed. Okay, so it's go and make disciples, go and proclaim the gospel, go and witness. No, go and be, be what? Be my witnesses. Not just go and hand out tracts, but go and be my witnesses. Okay, and we're, we're oh, oh, and in one other place, I, I, I only want to touch this. I can't, I can't unpack it fully, but in Luke, Luke, what Jesus says is this. Go out in the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in. Do you know what compel means? Let me trouble your theology a little bit. Compel means force. Compel them to come. That, that's not just simply, oh, here's a casual invitation. No, 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 no. It's compel them. So I'll let you wrestle with that. <laughs> compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. Why he wants his house. By the way, that word for house is oikos. It's household. I want my family. I want them all here. So if they ain't going to come, you go there and compel others to come in. You find folks? No, no, no. Don't have time. We'll keep going. We'll keep going. So, so, and, and we're to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot, you can't work for God. Let me say that again. You can't work for God. Only God can work through you. It's not by strength nor by might, but what? By my spirit, says the Lord. If you ain't got a good grasp spiritually, 
scripturally on the Holy Spirit, you've got diminished equipment to do what God's called you to do. The disciples all spent three years with Jesus, day and night, heard all of his teachings, participated in all of that, and what he said to them wasn't now you go and do. He said you go and wait. Wait for what? Wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you because that's the power of God to do what you're going to do. All right? So there we are. Now, given the fact that we got all of these things on the plate for us now, what I want to do is to take our time today, and I, and I, I want to play the schoolmaster a little bit this morning because I want to expand your thinking and your experience as it relates to this thing concerning the mission. So I want to, to give you, uh, I got seven words that I want to define so that it will stretch all of us to begin to understand more fully what we're called to do. These are not mine, by the way, but they are two men uh, who I, I found um, a piece that they had written. Uh, it's fairly significant for me. A uh, guy named Yal Purby, who is from Ghana, which is in West Africa. The other guy's name is Sam Nguchi, who is from Kenya, who is in East Africa. Interesting thing that, that I think that we're in a period where we're watching God raise up places where missionaries had gone and the gospel had been preached. We are now seeing the fruit come back in a time that we really do need to have something that brings the truth of God's word to us. I've got a little globe. It's a plastic thing on my, um, on my desk at, at, at home. So you can see through it. It's an inflatable thing. And you can see through it. And I particularly positioned Africa as a continent um, right toward my desk. I don't know if you recognize, but in the, in the U.S., every country is, Af uh, is ethnocentric, okay? When, when you buy maps and you see maps and globes in the U.S., guess what's always in the middle of the map here? North America is. You know, I mean, it's just that thing. You know, I don't lose sleep over it, nor should you. But I, but I set this thing up so that, that the African continent, because of a particular burden that the Lord had placed on my own heart, is kind of right there in the center. But I saw something this morning that I had never seen before because I can see through it. So you're looking at this plastic thing. And on the one side was North America. On the other side was Asia. And right in the middle of Asia and North and South America was Africa. And I realized, Lord, there's something that's going on there that has impact on both sides of both the Atlantic and the Pacific. Uh, boy, we could spend the next hour, and I could tell you stories of how God has raised up in this very hour leadership for his church, which is helping the church to stand in the face of some of this craziness that's going on. But I won't. But anyway, these two gentlemen uh, made some observations that I thought were worth passing on to you. So here are the definitions that I want to give you. Uh, for mission, one word. Missions, number two. Missional, number three. Missional church, number four. Uh, missionary, number five. Great commission, number six. And evangelism, number seven. I want to be able to define all those. Let me give you that list again. Okay, mission missions, 
plural. Missional. Missional church. Missionary. Great Commission and evangelism. So I want to bring some definition to those just because I think it, we need to look at a larger view of what God is doing. Most of us are very, very familiar with that language, and so we, we tend to think of experts, you know? So-and-so is an expert. Well, the missionaries, those are really the experts in terms of dealing with all of these things, and I want to say that nothing can be further from the, from the truth. So what I want to do is to take a moment here, and I want to read a passage just so that you get an understanding of how God actually works when he has a mission. Now, I make reference to it, but I just want to read it. So bear with me for a moment. Most of us know this story, but just listen uh, as, I, as I read through this. Now, this is in Exodus 3. Now, Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. Then, then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. For I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good land and a spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Behold now, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression for which, uh, with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now, that, now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt 
to the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite to a land flowing with milk and honey. They will pay heed to what you say and you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt and you will say to him, the Lord, the God of, of the Hebrews has met with us. So now please let us go uh, three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing and you will put them on your sons and daughters thus you will plunder the Egyptians most of us are very familiar with that story because that's the story of Moses and the burning bush but I want to suggest to you that's a much bigger story I don't have time to really dive really deeply, but in all that I just read you, I want to point out a couple of things in that passage. In that passage in Exodus 3, there were 16 things that God said he's going to do that represent his work. Okay. Then he says to Moses, there are these things that you're going to do. Moses gets 10 things that he's going to do. These are tasks that he's going to have to accomplish. So this isn't just about what God is doing. Now Moses has got a job to do, okay? Then he says, they're the elders. And he talks about what the elders are going to do. And there are actually four things in there that the elders have in terms of their task. And then finally, they're the women, just the people. He's saying, there's some things you're going to have to do as well. So there's this thing that we just look at and we think, well, this is just about Moses or this is about God and Moses. And God says, no, in the thing that I'm going to do, all of you are going to have to participate. Okay? Moses, you got to participate. Elders, you got to participate. And just people, regular folks, you got to participate also. So that's a change in our thinking. God is doing something. He's inviting us into that and we all have to participate now let's take a look at the at the definitions mission 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 is God's redemptive purpose in the world which all God's people are to participate in by their being and doing in the world to extend the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven all flowing from and in accordance to God's own nature and will that is the most important thing that you will hear today. Mission. And understand that mission is God's redemptive purpose. This is what he holds as his mission. In Exodus 3, when God confronts Moses at the burning bush, what he says to Moses is, Moses, I have heard this thing. This has risen before me. I have seen it. And I am here now to deal with the situation. So that, that's, 
God's mission was, I'm here now to do something in your midst. We need to understand God in terms of his mission. I've said a few times here, unless you understand the ultimate purpose of God, you'll continually be distracted by lesser purposes of God. Let's take a look at ultimate purpose. His redemptive purpose in the world. In the world, it's a redemptive purpose. I need to tell you something that you already know, but that you probably don't think about. Your Bible starts in Genesis 1, chapter 1. Most of us, most of us see the Bible starting in Genesis 3. Well, what's in Genesis 3? It's when man sinned. And so we just kind of messed it all up and God got about. But no, there was something that was going on before man sinned. Man sinned caused God to have now to put in place a redemptive purpose and plan. And that's what this thing is all about. His mission is his redemptive purpose. And it's a purpose in which all God's people are to participate. We read the Bible and we see these stories and we think God did these marvelous things that he'll do, but guess who he did them through? People. And in particular, if we're his body, guess how he's going to work? Guess his chosen way of working is through who? Through us. It's through us. And it's all of us. Not a few of us. Not some of us. It's all of us that he's going to work through. There's not a part in your body that you don't need. Okay? So if all of his people are to participate in that work, how? By being and by doing. How you live, how you conduct your life is to reflect God in the earth. And then what you do is to reflect God in the earth. And it's and it's every place that you go. So you're not exempt. Let me say something <laughs> to you that that I had it was just a neat thought. Do you realize that you are on mission right now? This very moment you are on mission. You don't get a break from that. When you go to the grocery store, you're on mission. When you go to the gym, you're on mission. When you go to your job, you're on mission. Why? Because you are to participate just as God gave Israel all of those things to do. You have things that you're called to do. And you're called to extend what the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. All of that is going to be consistent with God. So you're bringing God into every circumstance that you're in by virtue of how you live and what you do. That's mission. That is his mission. Now, second definition. Missions refer to the diverse activities and ways, methods, and means of God's people to carry out mission. Evangelism, discipleship, church planning, relief work, etc. Missions is mission practice. How do I put this in practice in terms of God's mission? By missions. There's a diversity of things that, that are in play now. The activities, the ways, the methods, the means. 
here's what we got to understand. God is infinitely creative in how he works. No two snowflakes are the same. No two fingerprints are the same. So everything is going to reflect God differently. Just as however many there are in this room, the activities, the ways, the methods, the means are going to reflect the uniqueness of who you are, which means you better be in touch with him so that he can work uniquely through you. Because he's not going to work that way through anybody else. So, so it's that diversity, that broad diversity of God's creativity. There are four categories that are mentioned here. And I just want to touch them real quickly and then move on to the next thing. Evangelism, discipleship, church planning, and relief work. There are more than that, but those are the main ones that we generally tend to think about. When you're doing missions, it's evangelism, it's discipleship, church planning, relief work. Let me ask you something. Is Rockside Church involved in any of those things? Rockside Church is involved in all of those things. By the way, uh, something occurred, and I just wanted to check myself. Do you realize that Rockside Church was the expression of uh, a mission from Bethel Christian? You were a missions church. You were a mission church in your, in your, in your inception. Pastor Donna was with Bethel, Bethel Christian, was sent out, and you are the result of all of that. So missions is who defined you, it's in your DNA. Now that being said, let me extend this out a little bit. Do you think that Rockside Church is done in terms of missions as it relates to church planting? No, not at all. The expectation is that churches at some point will be birthed out of what you're doing here. Is evangelism something that everybody's engaged with? Show, and show of hands in terms of how many should be involved in evangelism. Let's see your hands. How about discipleship? Okay, all of those things. Enough said. Next definition. Missional. Missional is an adjective denoting alignment with and furtherance of the mission of God. This is going to get you in trouble. It could be used of a person, thing, posture, thinking, behavior, practice, or activity. To be missional is to center God's mission as the core of one's worldview and existence. Question, are you a missional person? Is your life in alignment with and furthering the mission of God? Are your life and your worldview centered listen to what I'm saying, centered around God's mission. Definition four, missional church is a local church, fellowship, community with identity and activities that are shaped by, by what? The mission of God. Notice how the mission of God is at the center of all of this, shaped by the mission of God. Its members bear a missional worldview and participate intentionally, joyfully, effectively in making disciples among nations in same culture or cross-cultural context, local and globally. Is Rockside Church a missional church? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Now, here's the question. What's the extent of your participation in that? making disciples, same culture, cross-culture, local, 
global. It's those other little pieces of the definition that involves everyone. Um, you all have been an example in your giving to missions. But let me say this. It ain't just about your money supporting others. It's good that you give. Continue to do that. But it has to go beyond just simply your writing a check. You're called to participate in making disciples in same culture and cross-cultural circumstances in local and global. Um, next definition, missionary. Missionary is usually a noun referring to a person engaged in mission. That's the expert. Typically, but not necessarily as a vocation and in culture other than their own. Now, this is where we need to expand our understanding of what this is because it's not necessarily a vocation in another culture. Certainly, there are missionaries who are vocational. They serve in other cultures. But we tend to see missionaries as just simply that and that they're somehow operating on the other side of a border or an ocean somewhere. Well, that's an aspect of missions. That's not the fullness of missions. Question. Are you a missionary? But what we've looked at and talked about today, are you a missionary? I think so. I could give you a, a, a lengthy, I'll give you a, a, an abbreviated story concerning a church that I know that has embrace some of this language in terms of their members being missionaries and what they're beginning to do now this is a church that's down in uh, uh, it's, uh, the name of it is, is Avalon Church what they've done they've got members who see themselves as missionaries so guess what they do they prayer walk their streets and their neighborhoods they, they, they begin to engage their, their neighbors some of those neighbors haven't even come to the church yet but guess what they're doing? They're reaching out. They're having them in their homes. They're sharing their lives with these folks. They're touching these people's lives. They, they have them for barbecues and parties and all kinds of other things. Guess what they're doing? They're on mission. And these folks who don't know the Lord, guess what's starting to happen? They're coming to know Jesus as a result of that. But it's because those who have been involved began to see themselves as more than just simply, I'm a member of this place, but I am a missionary now. And this is my mission field. It's my, it's my neighborhood. It's my community. It's my job. Those are your mission fields. And so that's what we are called to. Number six definition, Great Commission. Great Commission is a modern nickname for mission. It comes from the mandate of the resurrected Jesus Christ to his disciples. By the way, that didn't come before. That was after he was resurrected. Matthew 28. Uh, sending them to spread the gospel to all creation and to make disciples of all nations as his witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that really is a restatement of Matthew 28, but I want to add a little piece in there from John 17. And the reason is so that you can understand the nature of this thing. Because again, I want to stretch us in how we, how we see this. In John 17, Jesus says to the Father, you sent me into the world, I am sending them. That word send is a word apostello. Does that sound familiar? 
What, what word does it conjure up? Apostle. Apostle means one who is sent. Okay? So, the Great Commission is about sending. Go and make disciples. It's an apostolic work. Every aspect of the church. Remember I told you, it's not what we do, it's what God does, what Christ does through us. Every aspect of, of the church and actually the five-fold ministries, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, are all aspects of what Christ has done and is doing in and through his church. Now, we may not see ourselves as evangelists in, the, in terms of how Billy Graham would be an evangelist, or as prophets, you know, name your favorite prophet of the week of the month or whatever, or pastor of the week of the month. We may not see ourselves in that, but are we called to, to be, to evangelize? Yes, we are. Are we called to speak forth the word of God at times to people? Yes, we are. Are we called to care for one another? Yes, we are. All of those are manifestations of who Christ is. And we may not have that office, but we certainly have the responsibility to carry out those works. And so that being said, that being said, the Great Commission is about being sent. It's, 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 it's an apostello, okay? And it's sent to make disciples of what? All nations. That word nations there is not geopolitical. It's not across the boundaries. It's the word ethnos, from which we get, thank you, ethnic groups. Do you live around different ethnic groups? You have people in your life from different ethnic groups. Guess what? That's what you are. Rockside Church, you are a missions church. You are an apostolic church, if you will, that's called for an apostolic work. Okay. Number seven definition, evangelism. We should all know this. Proclamation of the gospel to those who believe in Jesus Christ, calling people to repentance and salvation, announcing the forgiveness of sins, the joining of the living community of Christ's followers to begin a life of service under the Lordship of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. I just simply want to clarify something there. What is the gospel? The gospel that Jesus proclaimed is concerning his kingdom. The good news is that there is a new eternal order under a new king who is Jesus. And the only way into that kingdom is to come under the lordship of the king. That's good news. What we have done in trying to, in trying to fix the culture and fix the society, guess what? It ain't going to work. Why? Because that's an old order. That's a sinful order presided over by the ruler of this world who is Satan. God's not interested in fixing that. What he is interested in doing is extending his kingdom and his rule. Okay, so um, let me very quickly in kind of little one-word pieces here um, unpack these last things and then I'm done. Um, three levels of evangelism, and I'll just go through these very, very quickly. Level one evangelism among unsaved people who are familiar with Christianity and have previously heard the gospel. How many of you know people who are like that? Every hand should go up. Okay, that's evangelism level number one. Unsaved, familiar with, previously heard. Okay, 
Evangelism level number two, cross-cultural evangelism among people who are not familiar with Christianity, Christianity and mostly belong to other religions with maybe one barrier. Largely the barrier would probably be language. How many of you know people who language becomes a barrier for you, for them and for you? Okay, all right. Some of us actually fit into that, that category. Evangelism level three, cross-cultural evangelism among people who are not familiar with Christianity, same as two, and mostly belong to other religions with several barriers. Language, maybe dress, maybe cultural things. Any of you know folks that fit into those categories? Okay. So we're looking at now evangelism that really can involve all of us. Those latter two tend to involve people who are more involved with folks outside of our context, but some are inside. We got pockets here right in Northeast Ohio where language is a barrier, where language and cultural are. All you got to do is go over on West 130th where the Grand Mosque is. Guess what? Huh. We don't have to go on the other side of an ocean somewhere. There are literally folks who live right in our communities. Okay. So we've got these three levels of evangelism. And then finally, very, very quickly, three types of missions. And this is where I want you to think in terms of your own involvement, and then we're done. Number one, same culture missions. Engaging in missions, which is evangelism, discipleship, church planning, in your own or similar culture, typically among unsaved people. How many folks fall into that category here? Show of hands. Remember what we said now. Same culture. Unsaved. Every hand should be up. <laughs> Every hand should be up. Okay? That's everybody. Secondly, Cross-cultural missions is engaging in missions in a culture other than one's own and typically among the least reached people groups. Now, not every hand is going to be affected by that, but we, we know names. The Orozco's, do they fit in that category? Yes. The Connors, do they fit in that category? We have names of people. So there, that's where we start to see the issue of the other side of borders and oceans and so on. And then finally, near neighbor missions is a level two cross-cultural evangelism, usually among the least reached peoples who are geographically, and here is the catch, near neighbors. They reside in the same neighborhood, the same community, the same city, the same country. It's here. Do you see how our little understanding of missionaries has now been broadened? And we all have participation beyond writing the check. I am on mission right now, as are you. Okay. We'll stop there. Because I feel that where God is trying to take all of us is there. It's not enough just to write the check. It's not enough just to hear. But God's purpose and call demand a response of obedience to line up with 
center our lives around his purpose. Our worldview, our existence needs to be centered on that thing because we have an assignment. Each of us individually have assignments. And if we don't fulfill our assignments, it's not like there's somebody else in the wings to take our place. They just don't get done. And so, just take a moment, bow your heads. I'm not even going to ask for a response. I just want you, in the quietness of your own heart, just to think through, am I a missionary? What does that look like in my life? And ask the Lord, Lord, make it clear to me so that when I leave this place, I begin to have increasing clarity as to how I am to relate to the neighborhood, the community, my job, the places that you send me so that in each place I will bring a manifestation of who you are and your purpose to each circumstance. Don't just let the word stay in this place, in this room. Lord, I ask that as your word says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld its glory, may your word become flesh in the lives and in the hearts of all those who are here so that it's manifest in every place that they will inhabit, that they will visit, that they will pass through at all times. Holy Spirit, would you put flesh on that? I ask it in Jesus' name.